Christian greetings to each and every one of you here this morning. As you know, as we've been reminded of, it is Father's Day today. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad that there is a Father's Day. It's a, way, a day to focus on fathers. And particularly in our culture, if you think about it, it seems, and I'm not saying that this is 100% accurate, but it certainly seems that fathers are among the most ridiculed and disrespected individuals in today's culture. It's just that there's a lot of disrespect. And I think the reason for that is Satan knows the importance of fatherhood and manhood and has set out to, un to undermine and to destroy this in any way that he can. If you think about it, Think about comic strips or cartoons depicting a dad. Often it's in negative terms as being either absent or a jerk or a loser, stupid or naive, a simpleton, incompetent. That's just kind of the portrayal that is there. And then movies and TV shows and commercials also just reinforce that, that mindset and that image. And with this underlying attitude in society, is it any wonder that men, and fathers in particular, feel like failures and have perhaps quit trying to even become what God intended? The absence of fathers in homes has been identified as one of the primary causes of both crime and poverty in this country. And then you combine that with the reality of the cult, this cultural revolution that we're living in, attempting to diminish the genetic differences between men and women, the value of men is just being further diminished and marginalized. Um, and that mentality just runs flat against what God designed for men and fathers. God designed men and women in his image the most basic unit of society is the home, a man and his wife and with their children, and God designed men to be the leaders in their home and of their children. And Satan has done everything in his power since the Garden of Eden to hijack that plan, that design plan, because he knows that if he can undermine and destroy godly manhood and fathers, he has tremendous leverage over much of society. So, um, you know, there's a lot of examples of fathers in Scripture. Some are positive role models, some are not. Um, and this morning, I'm going to look at a man in particular, a father who faced severe and fierce cultural adverse, adversity, but modeled courage and tenacity through it. Um, and while I am focusing on a man, and in a sense this is centered around Father's Day, this is not, this is something that we can all learn from, regardless uh, of our gender or our role in life. Uh, and so who I'm going to be looking at this morning is Noah. I've entitled this morning's message, Noah, a man of God. And I 
would like for you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at chapter 6 primarily, a bit of chapter 7 as well, and um, of, of Genesis. Also, going back into chapter 5, so this is in the very, very early part of Scripture. There is not much history in the time leading up to this, uh, this chapter in 6. The genealogy of Adam to Noah is given in chapter 5. There's 10 generations, and um, I put together a quick little timeline, and it's uh, to give a little bit of context of, of this genealogy from Adam, from, uh, from Adam to Noah. There's 10 generations, and at that time, it was not unusual for people to live more than 900 years, and we see how long each of these lived over here on this uh, edge. And uh, I see the names are kind of cut off there because I was trying to get as much on there as we could. There's a lot of little lines on here, across here, and just to try to get a little bit to scale, each line or each gap between the line it represents five years, and so here you have 100 years, 200 years, and all the way up to Noah uh, is around in, in over 1,000 years after creation. So, clearly, the human genetics were slowed the aging process significantly back at this time, prior to the flood. Uh, to live 900 years, just to think about that, is pretty mind-boggling. Noah was born into and grew up at an, entire, at an extremely wicked time in history. Right here is when he was born. Based on that time, it was about 1,060 years, roughly, after creation. Adam had only died about 130 years before Noah was born. Seth had only died, Adam's son Seth had only died 10 to 15 years before Noah was born. So just put, think about that. Um, it's been over 1,000 years, but there's... Two generations, only two generations are gone. The rest of the generations are all alive except for Enoch, which uh, he had the shortest life because he just, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more. Noah was 500 years old when his three sons were born. So he was over here now uh, around 1500, 1550, somewhere in there. Just to give, the, and that's we find in verse 32 of chapter 5, says, now Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, a little bit of context. The Reformation was 500 years ago. It's as if Michael Sadler, Felix Mons, Conrad Grebels, Zurich Zwingli, Martin Luther are now still living and are just now having their children, uh, is how it was for Noah at that time. So he was, he was living for 500 years before he, Scripture records that he had any children. <clears throat> so this just gives us a little bit of a context. And then just for reference, and you may want to kind of remember this, this is when the flood happened. Notice when Methuselah and Lamech, Noah's father and grandfather, died. 
it was just very shortly prior to that, but I just wanted, I wanted to uh, point that out. <clears throat> the first four verses of Genesis 6 describe the wickedness on the earth at this time. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, or giants, that were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they born or children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, God is not happy with the development and the increasing corruption that is on the earth during this time. There are several words and phrases in these first four verses of chapter 6 that have puzzled scholars for many, many years. And I don't assume to have the answers to those questions. I will point out several of them just so that you're aware of some of the questions that come to it. And the one is, who were the sons of God and the daughters of man? Uh, and we don't know the answer to that. Um, some would make a case that there was uh, in angelic beings involved with that. We don't know that. Um, some would make the case that the, the sons of Seth were the sons of God and the daughters of man were the children uh, of Cain's descendants, but we don't know that either. Um, but that is a big question mark and it mentions twice in these verses. Another is God's word that the, his days shall be 120 years. Some would say that that is until the flood. Others would say that that is that after the flood, lifespan will be reduced to 120 years. Um, again, we don't know for sure what was meant by that 120 years. And then the third one is that of the Nephilim, or giants. And while some translate that giants, others translate it Nephilim, which is literally just transliterating the Hebrew word into English because they don't know what it is. They don't know whether it's giants or what it is. And so they just translate it, transliterate the Hebrew word into English um, as a placeholder, if you will, because they don't really know who the Nephilim were. <clears throat> so those are some of the unresolved questions, but verse 5 clearly summarizes the condition of the culture that they were living in. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that is extreme wickedness. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's about as opposite from pray without ceasing as you can get. 
Um, it was a very evil. The wickedness was great. Uh, and this is attributed to the population as a whole. God decided that this wickedness had escalated to such a point that destruction was necessary, as we read on in verses 6 and 7. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry I have made them. God decides to destroy humanity because of the incredible wickedness that they had. But verse 8 changes the tenor of this story now. It says, but Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Apparently, from this reading of Scripture, Noah was the only young man, I will say, and he was 500 years old, on planet Earth following God. I'm not sure how else you can read this. He's going to destroy all of humanity, and he singles out this one person. I'm not saying there weren't others, but Scripture certainly doesn't indicate that there was anyone else on planet Earth following God. Noah was obviously different. The characteristics in verse 5 did not describe Noah. I don't think Noah was set out or, or tried to um, impress God. He was simply serving him. He must have heard the stories of Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, life before the fall, uh, the impact of sin on creation and life, Cain and Abel, great-grandpa Enoch, who disappeared after only a short lifespan of 365 years, and he was described as having walked with God. In chapter 5, Enoch is the only, well, actually not in, just in chapter 5, but up through chapter 5, Enoch is the only descendant of Adam other than Abel in which Scripture records as having a relationship with God. That was Noah's great-grandpa who had died or about 85 years before Noah was born. Enoch was no more. He vanished from the earth about 85 years. And you see that in verses 21 to 24 of chapter 5. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. But like Enoch, Noah also is described as having walked with God. Verses 9 and 10 of Genesis 6. Now, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
So here Noah is described as righteous, as blameless, and as one that walked with God. And he found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it is not difficult to reach the conclusion based on verse 9 as compared to verse 5 that Noah was an oddball and a misfit in a culture where everyone else's intention was, every intention was only evil continually. We have no record of the type or the kind of parents or grandparents that Noah had. We don't know whether Methuselah, who lived the long, longest, the man who lived the longest, 969 years, whether he was a godly man or not. We have no record that Lamech was. Noah's father. Methuselah died within a year or so of the flood, if based on the record there in Genesis 5. Noah had multiple brothers and sisters, as we see uh, at the end of chapter 5 as well, but they clearly chose a different path. And God noticed that Noah was different. He didn't follow the crowd. He focused on God. When it says that Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord, I had to think of 2 Chronicles. Um, sorry, I was not keeping up here. 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give support for those whose heart is blameless toward him. God is looking for Man, God is looking for people whose walk is blameless, who walk with God, like Enoch, like Noah. Walking with God is the first step to being a godly father, a godly man, a godly woman, a godly teenager. It's not a prayer that you pray. It's not a one-time decision you make but it's a daily and an ongoing relationship, an adventure, a journey. There is no end. There is no finish line. It's an ongoing reality of walking with God. For Noah in a pre-flood era, walking with God probably looked very different than it does for us today. But we can, like Noah, also walk with God. Yet, at the same time, maybe it wasn't so different. It's focusing on God rather than the turbulence, the evil, the wickedness, the everything that's going wrong in the world around us. It's making our relationship with God that top priority in our lives. It's making time for God, spending time with him each and every day. Today, unlike Noah, we have the inspired word of God on which we can feed and nourish our souls. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the gift of salvation. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the body of Christ. We have each other. There's so much more available to us today than what Noah had at the time that he lived. And yet he lived in a way that was 
completely countercultural and focused on God. I had to ask myself, why is it so easy to neglect our walking with God? And I, the only conclusion I can reach is because we end up having more confidence in our own understanding of what's going on than we do in God. It's pretty brutal, but I believe that that is the truth. It's also very arrogant that we have more confidence that we know better what's happening around us than what God does. So Noah walked with God. Another key component to Noah's life and a key component for us today is that Noah obeyed God. And I want to continue reading in Genesis 6, verse 11. <clears throat> and I'm going to read down through uh, verse 10 of chapter 7. And uh, we'll pick up and may read a bit more than that then as well. <clears throat> now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it on the inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you and keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up and it shall serve as food for you and, and for them. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are were not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, 
went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. <clears throat> it's kind of stopping in the middle of the story there, but we're going to stop there for now. There was clearly a relationship between God and Noah because God came to Noah. We don't know in what form or whether Noah was surprised or what. Maybe this was not the first time. We don't know. But God came to Noah and explained that he was planning to destroy everything that has life on the earth. And Noah was to build this massive boat um, and to, for all kinds of animals as well as his family. Now, there is nothing recorded as to what went through Noah's mind or the questions or what he was thinking when he heard this from God. I'm sure there were many questions. I have a feeling there were doubts about whether he heard it correctly or whether he understood what God meant or said. But there's nothing recorded of that. I was trying to think of some example in today's society that might give us some equivalency of what Noah was doing. And I don't know that I came up with one, but maybe building a space station for Mars in the wheat fields of Kansas or here in Catlett, Virginia, might be uh, of equal craziness, if you might say. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Um, we don't know. But the project of building a massive ship for a flood when it had never even rained was ludicrous, insane, by any standard, except obedience to God. That's the only reason Noah did it. It did not make any sense by any human reasoning at all. But in spite of these questions, he obeyed once, not only once, but repeatedly. And scripture makes this very clear. And that's what I want us to think about, is that in verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. And in verse 5 of chapter 7 again, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. In verse 9, as God had commanded Noah. And going on down in verse 16 of chapter 7, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So the animals even obeyed, but things were happening the way that God commanded. Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, brings this out as well. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes to faith. So I ask myself, would I have undertaken a huge and public project like this, understanding the ridicule that would accompany it? 
We don't know how long it took to build the ark. Scripture tells us Noah was 500 years old when his sons were born and that he was 600 years old when the flood came. So in my assumption, it would be in that time frame. I know that traditionally often you think of 120 years because of what it says in, there in the first part of chapter 6, but we don't know that. But given the scope of this structure, it would have taken Noah and his three sons many, many years to build the ark. Um, obviously, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but it would have taken massive amounts of time. How much others helped, we don't know. This was certainly no weekend or summer project. It took decades to build this ark. Scripture is also silent on the scorn, the mockery, the ridicule that must have come as a result of this widespread evil and wickedness that is described. It's silent about the discouragement that Noah must have felt at times. It's silent about the explanations that he must have given countless times only to be laughed off again. It's silent about everything except what God said and Noah's obedience, that he did what God said, regardless what it was. Noah chose to swim against the strong current of cultural opposition, even though it was challenging, exhausting, and extremely lonely. Are we willing to stand alone for years, for decades, just to be obedient to God. Noah obeyed, period. There was no discussion, there was no debate, no negotiation, no compromise. God said it, I will do it. It wasn't popular, not even, I mean, even Noah's brothers and sisters must have rejected him and continued living their evil lives. How many times do we rationalize come up with an explanation to justify fudging what God has said or what God has asked of us. And we have the written word, and we have the Holy Spirit. Noah obeyed God, period. Do we obey God? Or do we claim to know better and have a good reason not to fully obey at times? The third aspect that I want us, that I notice and want us to think about is that Noah's family followed Noah because they also believed God. Noah wasn't the only one that obeyed and followed God's instructions. His wife did as well. His sons did and his sons' wives. Again, from what we read in Scripture, Noah was the only one serving God when God came to him, maybe his wife. But he didn't even have his children or may not have had his children at that time. But not only did Noah have the courage to personally embrace a radical countercultural life of godliness and obedience, but his entire family followed his example. They did the same. Rather than rejecting dad's old-fashioned or out-of-touch-with-reality ideas, they joined him 
and the rejection of everyone else's doing it mentality. They did so because they believed in him, their dad, but also because they believed God had commanded it and they were walking in obedience to him as well. Now, it's interesting to speculate, and it's only speculation, but we know that adolescence frequently brings a streak of rebellion or rejection of parental ideas and perspective. We don't know whether Noah's three sons questioned or challenged dad somewhere along the line. It wouldn't surprise me if they did. But when one lives 900 years or whatever, there's a lot of time to repent from those actions as well, um, if, that, if that was the case. But just looking at a little bit of how, what Scripture says about Noah's children and how they responded, we know, read earlier that Noah was 500 years old when they were born. And then in verses 9 and 10, it says that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 7, whoops, I'm sorry, um, Noah was 600 years old when the flood came on the waters, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark. So they collectively, the eight of them, obeyed as were instructed. In verse 13, it says, On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Going on to chapter 8, um, reading several verses, verses 14 and 18, and this is toward after the, as the water was going down. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out, and God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. <clears throat> what I notice here is how the family is included. It started out with just Noah, but then as it progresses, the family is included as it talks about them. Chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then a bit later in chapter 9, he says in verses 8 to 10, and God said to Noah and his sons with him. So God is speaking both to Noah and his sons. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come to the ark for every beast of the earth, for it is for every beast of the earth. Noah was not a perfect man. He was a sinner like you and I. We see that weakness toward the end of chapter 9 when Noah becomes drunk, and it feels like that story often overshadows the incredible life that he lived prior, up to that point. He was a man of tremendous faith. He trusted God's warning of judgment. He prepared the ark against the skepticism of everyone around him. He protected his family. Because of Noah's faith, he, 
along with his wife, three sons, and their wives were saved. And the earth repopulated from these eight faithful men and women. In conclusion, I just want us to to think about that God blesses and protects those who walk with God and obey him. There is a blessing that comes from it. It doesn't mean it's easy. It probably won't be. But he does bless us in ways that um, in ways that are most important. My challenge this morning to, is, first of all, to dads and dads-to-be, walk with God. Walk with God each and every day. Build a deep relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. Secondly, obey God regardless. It doesn't matter what others are saying or doing, obey God. Be an example to your family, your wife and children, that they will want to follow because they believe God. They will, that they will want to walk with God, that they will want to obey God, that they will want to do what you are doing. Five years ago, on Father's Day, 